0: In this time, a lot has happened, of course. Of course, you know, there were big events this weekend that I'm sure you've talked about, almost to the point of you don't want to hear another thing about it, um, about the coming end of the world and judgment and all of that thing. And um, I I, I swerve as hard as I can away from reaction. I do not like to react, to, to... To things. I don't like to preach from a place of reaction because the problem with that is when you react to one error, you react to one ditch, where do you end up? Usually in the other ditch. You know, that's what usually happens. I mean, when you hear people get up and preach against somebody else's sermon, do you know what happens? They almost always end up on the wrong side of the road themselves. Somebody gets up, I mean, if somebody gets up and hears hears a sermon that they think is too, um, too far on this end, they'll get up and preach against it. Well, they end up. Too far on the other side, and I don 't believe i've heard I've heard people say well, you got to preach in the ditch to get people out of the ditch. I don't believe that. I believe that Jesus is the way, it means he's the road and the gate and all those other good things, and the truth, the truth, and the life. So if we preach Christ, if we preach his word, we don't have to get in the other ditch. We can stay on the road. And pretty soon people get out of the ditch and, and they come And so I hate reacting to anything I hate preaching out of reaction And yet at the same time um, I do believe that there are times where, where we're taught things in a certain season Not only that But I think if you preach out of the word Even if it's for a season It's going to be timeless You'll be able to listen to it ten years later When circumstances are different Things have changed And it'll still be just as relevant Because it's the word of God It's alive So In all that, in praying and in preparation for for what we would talk about tonight, the Lord has really continued to say, um, as far as as His time with me, that we do need to, to, to realign our focus and make sure that we're steadfast in the things we believe. Because the world right now is going to ask you a lot of questions. In fact, Jesus, unfortunately, is being mocked by the world. Because of some small minority group that most of us had never heard of until a couple weeks ago. Yet the Lord is being mocked. You see, we, we shouldn't get in, sit in the seat of scoffers. We shouldn't go over to that place, even if they're out to lunch, even if they're crazy people. We still should say, we're not, we're not scoffers, we're not mockers. We are the people of God. And if these are our brothers and sisters, though they may be way off, they're still our brothers and sisters. We pray for them. And at the same time, we watch the world begin to mock the church. And we watch Christians all of a sudden shrink back from preaching the coming day of the Lord because they're afraid that they'll be lumped in with a certain group. So what we're going to do is we're going to realign our focus and look to the Word of God so that we'll know what to look at, so that we'll know what to say, so that we'll know what to believe, and we won't be reacting to one group or the other, but we'll be listening to the voice of God and responding to it. So turn to 2 Peter chapter 3 in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, uh, I encourage you to follow along on the screen, and then next time bring a Bible. And, uh, because I know everyone in this room has one. Uh, if you don't have one for whatever reason, let us know. We'd be happy to give you a Bible so that you can um, have one to keep and read at home. 2 Peter chapter 3. In the third chapter of uh, Peter's letter here, we see the whole purpose of the letter. He tells us why he's writing this letter. And um, there's a lot in this letter, in the first two chapters, that I encourage you to read on your own time. But the third chapter really brings home uh, the key of the whole letter. Everything was leading up to this point. And Peter's had to go through some of the things that we have to go through. Hearing some of the same mocking that we've heard. Hearing some of the same things that we've heard. Had some people with the same fears that maybe you've had. And here's how the Holy Spirit responds. You see, I use the word Peter. I say Peter says this, Peter says that. But we all know the Spirit spoke, right? We know the Holy Spirit wrote the letter through Peter. So this is not Peter's opinion. In fact, in, in, the, in his letters, he actually says this. It says, no scripture is a matter of one's personal interpretation. No prophecy is a matter of one's personal interpretation. But it is men speaking, inspired by the Spirit of God. Speaking by the Spirit of God. So here's what it says. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind. By way of reminder. Do you know what a sincere mind is? That's a pure mind. That is a mind that has not let itself be torn away by all these other er earthly, worldly things, but is pure, is sincere, it is it's devoted to the things it's supposed to be devoted to. A sincere mind sincerely wants to know what the will of the lord is sincerely desires as he says in another place that sincerely desires the milk of the word that by it we may grow that a sincere mind is not looking for just one more conspiracy theory a sincere mind is not just looking for one more cool thing you tell your friends a sincere mind wants to grow you got to stay away from the thought uh that, oh man, I heard this one thing and I bet no one else has heard it so that's why it's cool. You know, often that's when you get into really wacky stuff. I had a fellow, I used to work at a Christian bookstore and I had a fellow walk in and, um, and he was asking me about the, the other Gospels that we don't have in our Bible. And, and I said, well, we don't have those right because there are other gospels that have appeared now you take a good look with a pure scholarly mind you find out they were probably written much much later and they're forgeries but even even if they weren't there's st- you know, we believe that the Holy Spirit was directly involved in the Bible we have. That God guarded His Word. That He worked through men to give us what we have right now. I believe that. I hold to that. That is the inspired Word of God. I believe God cared enough about us, cared enough about His Word to protect it. I do believe that. So he says, you know, what, are the other, what about these other Gospels? And I said... I said, okay, we, we don't have those. Which ones are you looking for? Wow, well, well, What about this one, this one? And I kind of resisted the urge to tell him, man, those are kooky. Like, those are crazy weird. And I'm telling you, like, any serious scholar would say, come on, man. I mean, there are scholars who just want to believe it because they, they want to believe that Jesus wasn't who he said he was. They want to believe that he wasn't divine. They want to believe that he uh, perhaps had other relationships. This is what they want to believe. And so I said to him, I said, why are you looking for those things? He said, well, he said, you know, the gospels are nice, but I want to see the hidden things that Jesus said. I want to see the other things that no one else has, has seen. I, I want to know the, the secret things that he said. And when you get into that sort of attitude, you open yourself up to error. You open yourself up to the spirit of error. You open yourself up to all sorts of stupid things because you've convinced yourself that the Word of God is not enough for you. That you need something else. This was the whole basis of a false teaching that most... I mean, a big chunk of the last of the New Testament was written to a group called the Gnostics that believed that there was a special knowledge that you had to have, a secret, hidden knowledge that was above the Word of God. And you see, you open yourself up to that, you open yourself up to all sorts of weird doctrinal mess-ups and things that will get you off your path. A sincere mind is not looking for that. You see, getting new revelation on what God has spoken is different than looking for something no one else has heard before. And because when you're looking for something no one else has heard before, you're looking for the wrong thing. You're you're judging yourself by other people. You're not meant to do that. You're supposed to say, Lord, what do you want me to see today? And if He takes you to John 3.16, go to John 3.16 and let Him speak to you from there. A sincere mind says, Lord, what is it that I need to hear? What is it that I need to know? And so he says, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. We are human beings that need to be reminded. Our brains need to be reminded. And so here's what he says in the next verse. He says that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. What have the prophets have talked? What have the prophets talked about? They've talked about the coming of Jesus Christ. They've come. They've talked about the coming kingdom. They've talked about all of these things, and the apostles have talked about some of these things as well. Talked about the grace of the Lord. Talked about uh, the the coming troubles that you'd have to fight through and the weapons you had to fight it. All of these things the scripture has prepared you for and he says but you need to remind be reminded that I would stir you up by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles know this first of all that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking that's kind of the worst part is that they come (laughs) They don't usually stay to themselves. They actually come and find you. Mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. They'll do what makes them feel good. They'll do what they want to do. They'll believe what they want to believe. They'll say what makes them feel the best. They're following after their own lusts. Well, we're not of that, are we? And saying, where is the promise of His coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep. All continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. How many of you know that's not true? Do do you think in the Bible there might have been an instance between creation and now where something really big happened? That the world has not always been this way? That, That perhaps there was a lot of water at some point that wiped out the entire world? say oh that's just in the Bible how do you know it's true well first of all we know it because it's in the Bible but if you were prone to doubt it not only could you look at all the scientific evidence behind it you could look at every culture and how they all mysteriously though they be spread all over the world they all mysteriously have a story about some big flood we know it's true and yet they purposely leave it out and say all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation there's no judgment There's no second coming. There was no first coming. There's no... Everything's just as it was. And in verse 5 he says, For when they maintain this, in other words, when they keep saying it, when they keep believing it, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water. So... You don't need to think too much of that right now But but we know that that when God created the earth We know there was water there There was water up there And that God actually separated the water He made sky, I mean all these things He put land there which separated the water into seas and lakes We We know that But remember what happened when the flood came It says the waters of the deep released And the waters up there released And they all met in the middle So he says that the earth was formed long ago out of water and by water by the word of god through which the world at that time was destroyed being flooded with water so he says it escapes their notice that there's already been a day where the world was destroyed because these people are saying i mean they're not even talking about just jesus coming back they're thinking there's never going to be people are saying the world will end at some point this is all temporary See, that's why it's important that we preach this, not because we want to freak people out and scare them and show them enough apocalyptic movies that they can't go to sleep at night. We want them to know, the Scripture tells us, that everything you see is temporary, so don't invest everything in temporary things. The world will end. Don't waste your time spending all your life on temporary things. Money's not going to go with you. Don't waste your life chasing money. You know, uh, all of these things that the world chases are temporary things. The scripture says all flesh is like grass. But the word of the Lord endures forever. So the important thing to remember is that the world will end. And he says they forget it's already had one time where it was destroyed. That it escapes their notice that God's already done this once. But by His Word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire. What does that tell us? Everything you see here is going to get burned. There will be a day when the earth is destroyed and a new heaven and a new earth is created. This is what separates us from the convenient Christians that, that can... Uh, well, I'm not going to judge anybody, but this what might separate you from those who don't want to sound loony to their friends. This, this is what say, if I really literally believe the Bible, I believe this world will end. Everybody knows that, though. People can look and go, signs are this world's not going to be around forever. They think we can stop it. We can't stop it. It is being reserved, though. That means God's actually preserving the place. He's keeping it together. And it will one day be destroyed. Why do we need to know that? Because you need to know that this is all temporary. Don't spend your life on these things. This is not the eternal. This is the temporal. And here's what he says. By his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment, and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. Well, it sounds like we better pay attention. There's one fact we should not let escape our notice. That with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years like one day. Well, this first got a lot of people in trouble this past weekend. Can I just tell you, this is not Peter giving you a heaven to earth conversion chart. He's not saying that one time around the sun to us, is like a thousand times around the sun to God exactly every time. He's trying to show you that God lives outside of time. You know, this is not saying that God literally every day to Him is a thousand days to us. No, He's showing you God lives outside of time. He's not measured by time. He doesn't measure His time by how many times we went around the sun. When you get out of this earth, when you go to be with Him, you're not going to have a concept of time. So to Him, this is not a short time. He's not saying so. Remember this in your calculations. When God says seven days to Noah, that's 7,000 years. Because if you'll remember, when God said a flood is coming in seven days, it actually came in seven days. This is a subject for another time. His point here is not that literally, get your pencils out, get your calculators out, one day equals 1,000 years. He's saying God lives outside of time. To Him, moments that we think take so long are like this. Years are like this. Now, why is God waiting? Why is God waiting to send Jesus back to get His church? Why is God? Because here's what we believe. Now, you may have a different belief on the order of things, and I, I think there's allowance for that, but through my study of Scripture, I have come to believe that, that the first thing that will happen is the catching up of the church. You read First, Second Thessalonians. You come to... to You could come to believe that there will be a snatching up. We will meet him in the air, and we will be changed. We will be like him. Um, That there will be a snatching up. He goes back. That there will be a time of tribulation on the earth. And that after that, he comes back. He establishes his kingdom. That's my belief of the order. And a lot of people would believe the same thing. But if you believe in a different order, and you can back it up with Scripture, bravo. But one thing we do believe is that this is not permanent This is temporary. There will be a day where He brings His church. He takes us away. There will be a day of judgment. There will be a day where all of this ends. Why hasn't it come yet? Why hasn't it come? Why couldn't it come last Saturday? Why has Jesus not come? See, what Peter is dealing with are people that are mocking and have fallen away because of this issue. There are people mocking because they say, Where's your Jesus? You keep saying He's coming back, and I don't see anything. So what do they do? They eat, drink, and they're merry because this is all they see is this present age. They don't think there's another one. They don't think there's an end to all of this. This is just it. Why is Jesus delayed His coming? Why hasn't He come yet? When I say he's delayed his coming, I didn't, I'm didn't. i not saying he was planning on it and then he delayed it. I'm saying, why hasn't he come yet? Here's what he says. In the next verse, in verse 9, the Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness. slowness that's why he has to tell you that a day is like a thousand years. He's telling you what seems like a slow time to you is not slow to God, but is patient towards you. See, we thought he was just procrastinating well maybe you say don't include me in your we I did not think that you may have people that think he's procrastinating why hasn't he come yet and we viewed it as God being lazy or something but it's not God being lazy it's God being patient Not wishing for any to perish But for all to come to repentance That's why Jesus has not come and snatched us away yet Because there are people who still need to repent That He doesn't want to die a death without knowing Him You say, why does He wait? And He goes, guys, it's not that God is slow about keeping His promise to you It's that God loves the world enough to give them one more chance Well, what does this tell you? If the reason Jesus has not come yet is because He wants people to come to repentance, what's your best course of action? To stand and look at the sky all day or to go and preach the message of reconciliation? To go and see people come back to Him? To go and tell people the good news of Jesus Christ? The Lord is not slow. He's patient that's what we've got to remember why Jesus have you waited why O Lord have you not come he goes I'm not slow I'm patient there's a big difference if he's slow it means he's just dilly dallying but if he's patient it means that he's doing it out of love here's what it says but the day of the Lord will come like a thief it means it will come quickly And it will come when it's not expected. In which the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. Now the day of the Lord throughout the New Testament. In the Old Testament the day of the Lord is often referred. They'll they'll talk about the day of the Lord being when God um, grants them victory. or, Or you know pays back something on their enemies. In the New Testament... Uh, The day of the Lord can refer to several things. It can refer to the catching up of the church. It can refer to the tribulation. Sometimes it refers to judgment. And in this case, it's referring to the actual end of the world. To the destroying of the world. So that there can be a new one created. You say, why does God have to destroy the earth? Why does he have to destroy it? Why can't he just keep it? Well, because the earth has been put under a terrible stain. And as long as sin remains... There's not going to be paradise as God intended in the Garden of Eden. So there must be a renewal of all things. So he'll destroy this earth. Don't worry. You won't be on it when it's destroyed. He'll destroy the earth and make all things new again. Praise God. Isn't that wonderful? This is how the lion's going to lay down with the lamb. This is how you're going to be able to worship Him freely because there will be a day when this present under the curse earth is destroyed and a new one takes its place. And the earth and its works will be burned up. Now why are we preaching this? To freak you out? So that you can write another movie that will terrify people? No. Here's why. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way What sort of people ought you to be In holy conduct and godliness Why? Because this is temporary Live eternally don't live temporarily Live eternally You've been given eternal life You're going to be around long after this world is gone So why do we need to think about the end of the world So that we know how to conduct ourselves in this world That we know Why do we think about the next stage So that we know how to conduct ourselves in this age So that we say This is all going to be burned up So I'm not going to live for this I'm going to live for Him I'm going to live for the eternal. And so I'm going to live a life of holiness. What does that mean? That means set apart from the old things and the old man and the old things that have passed away, the sin and the world's system. I'm going to be set apart. And godliness means devoted to Him, to His worship, to His service, to His love, to His grace working through you to be who He was and to be who He is to the world. Because through that... Through that holiness and godliness, there's going to be a lot of these people that Jesus has been waiting for come in because of your life. Now it says this. Looking for... Listen to verse 12. Here's what you're meant to do. You're meant to look for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? What are two things you're meant to do? Looking for and hastening the coming day of the Lord. How do I hasten the day of the Lord? What's He waiting for? He's waiting for people, isn't He? So our, our job in the hastening... Now, does this mean that God's going to change the date... The harder we work, the faster he comes. Now, he's already seen the date. He already knows. He's seen what you're going to do. He's seen who's going to. He saw people on their knees confessing him as Lord long before they ever do it. He's already seen the movie, but we have a part to play in it. Does this mean that he's just, we're just walking around and we're just puppets? No. You have a free will. You have a choice. That's why you need to be reminded. If you're just going to be led around and he's just going to do whatever he's going to do, you wouldn't need to be reminded. You wouldn't need to be stirred up. But He's stirring you up so that you can play the part that God called you to play. So as we step into the things of God, as we say, I am a minister of the reconciliation, as we realize that the reason Jesus hasn't come yet is not because He didn't love us, but because He loved the ones who haven't yet known Him. That's why He's not here yet. So what's your part? Tell God. You bring them that message of reconciliation. God wants you back. He wants you back. And He paid the price to get you back. Let me tell you, all of this is temporary. All of this fades away, but the word of the Lord abides forever. He says, you look for and hasten the coming day of the Lord. So what we are doing is bringing the day of the Lord closer. That doesn't mean God's changing the day. He knows the day. But our part is bringing it closer. Does that make sense? It's not changing. But it's coming because His people are on the earth. Preaching His word. Ministering reconciliation. Bringing those to repentance. And because they've repented. They're finding forgiveness. They're finding that they can be reconciled to God. Here's what it says. Because... Of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But, don't you love that there's a but there? (laughs) Because that's freaky so far. (laughs) He doesn't make it sound nice, does he? Doesn't make it sound like, oh, you know, that's just there one day and gone the next. Poof. No, he goes, the heavens will be destroyed by burning. And the elements will melt with intense heat. Why? What would you do if there was a plague in your village and the people with the plague had touched everything in your house? You burn it, so do you, you cleanse everything. That fire cleanses things. All throughout the scripture, there's a talk, there's talk of fire cleansing, renewing. So this earth is going to be burned up with intense heat. Why does he say intense heat? To show you that it is going to be completely pure. That there's not going to be anything left that would corrupt that. Intense heat means completely pure. No corruption left. No plague remaining. No curse remaining. Praise the Lord. No more curse on this earth. Hallelujah. That's good news. But... It doesn't end there. It doesn't end with the world just ending, does it? But according to His promise, and that's what we've got to remember. Through all of this, we are people that remember the promise. We are people that look to the promise. We are people that speak the promise. But according to His promise, we are looking... Now, looking means that you've got to think about it a little bit, don't you? Looking means it's got to occupy you in some way. Looking for new heavens and a new earth in which the righteousness dwells. This doesn't mean you're going around the world and you're looking behind rocks and you're trying to find it. Looking means you're expecting it. You're waiting for it. You're eager. Now, can we be eager without getting loony? Yes, we can. Why? Because what Jesus told us to do is to continue to do what He's called us to do until He comes. Continue. He says, when I come back, will I find faith on the earth? What what does that mean? He means, will He find us doing what He left us doing? Still believing that He's coming. Now there's two different attitudes to knowing that He's coming. You see, when we say He's coming, we know that that's a good thing. And it encourages us to continue on in the work that he's called us to do by the grace of God letting him work through us, right? To other people, it freaks them out. But you know that, and, and we'll see this in a moment in the Scripture, but fear produces bursts of adrenaline where you will run for a bit really hard. We saw that this last weekend. People sold their life savings. They, they spent all their weekends, all every day, outside with signs. It, that fear produces these moments of adrenaline where you're working really hard, and then you get burnt out and tired. But faith produces steadfastness, where you continue on and you don't give up. You see, the difference is, is that when we know our Master is returning, we're not, gonna, we're not freaked out like, what if He finds us? playing solitaire when he comes back. What do you want to... What I mean, think about it. You guys have all had jobs at some point, if, if not right now. When your boss comes back, what do you think he'd rather find, or she? Would they rather find you at the door wagging your tail like a puppy dog, saying, I waited for you, I waited for you, I waited for you, where have you been? Or would they rather find you at work Doing what they left you doing. Doing what they left you doing, right? What if you shut down? I mean, say you're chief fry cook at McDonald's, and you shut down the grill, you shut down the fryer, and you say, But my master's coming back. And you say, Get out, get out, customers. Master's coming back. Click, lock it up. And you know, the reason the master's coming back is because he trusted you to, to, to serve all these wonderful people this McDonald's food. Okay, all right. I realize that it's a stretch. But okay, anyways. uh, To serve them this food, and and you've shut it all down, and you've locked the doors, and you wait by the door, and you make a sign for them, Welcome back, boss! And he comes home and says, Where's the customers? I kicked them out so that I could prepare a welcome for you. And he goes, Why? I left you here for a reason. So... The Master would rather come back finding us doing what He left us to do. But knowing that He's coming back gives us hope so that we can continue working hard going, this is temporary. This is temporary. And what I'm doing, I'm doing by His strength. And I know that all this is going to fade away, but there is a crown awaiting for me in heaven. My Master's coming back, so that gives me hope that I'm not going to give up. Though I be persecuted, though, I be, uh, uh, though, though people throw things at me and try to get me to quit, I know my Master's coming back. He's not going to leave me here to die. He's coming back to get me someday. Now maybe, maybe you go on to be with the Lord before He comes back. You still get the same reward. So we know Master's coming back. We just keep on working. And we're encouraged and we have hope and we don't lose heart because we know that He keeps His promises. So He says we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That means we're looking forward to it. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, since you're waiting for these things, since you're hoping, expecting, and eager for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace. Spotless and blameless. This is your response. Your response is not to freak out every time somebody tells you He's coming this weekend. Your response is to be found by Him in peace. Spotless and blameless. And regard the patience of our Lord. See, when people say, why is not Jesus come? Don't you know they've said He's coming since Paul was around? I don't think He's coming. Every generation says He's coming soon. He hasn't come yet. You go, you better thank God for that. It's because He's patient because He loves you. And He's going to give you to the last minute. That's why He hasn't come. It's not because He didn't have the juice to do it. Not because, you know, not because, you know, the forces were so strong, I can't break into your world today. No, it's just because He's patient. Regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Salvation just as also also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. As also in his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which some things are hard to understand. Listen to this. Which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures to their own destruction. This is going to happen. Untaught and unstable people will always distort the Word of God. But you don't get turned off course by those people just know they'll be around. (laughs) Thank God there is hope for them after after they realize, I've been wasting my time. There is always hope. The Lord can bring them back. You just stay stable. You stay steadfast. He says the unstable and untaught will always distort the Word of God. You don't get thrown off into their error. He says, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures, to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand... Be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. See, this is what faith and hope provides to us. Steadfastness. This is what God is looking for. Not bursts of speed every time you hear He's coming soon, but steadfastness, always full force ahead. Not just every time you think, Oh, He's coming this year. Let's work harder. No, be steadfast in the grace of the Lord. Be steadfast in the work of the ministry. Be steadfast so that you may be found faithful. Here's what He says in verse 18. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. I want to read you something from Acts 1 before we close. I want you to go home at some point and read Romans 13 where it says I love this. I love this image. He says that the day is near, that the night is almost gone, and the day is near. I love that. Don't you love that imagery right there? He says, the night is almost gone, brothers. The day is near. He says, therefore, let us throw aside the deeds of darkness and let us pick up and put on the armor of light. Isn't that a beautiful metaphor that he shows us, guys? The night is almost gone and the day is almost here. So what do we do about it? We put off the deeds of darkness and we put on the armor of We're at the end of the age, friends. We're at the end of history. Now, how long this age is, I don't know. How long this end of history is, I don't know. Will I live to see Jesus return in the clouds? I don't know. But I know that I will receive a crown if I am steadfast in the grace of the Lord, if I continue in the things He's called me to do. And that's all that counts. Night is almost over, friends. The day is near. Put aside the deeds of darkness, and put on the armor of light. In Acts chapter one, Jesus has been speaking to them about the kingdom of God. He's already resurrected, and he's about to—he's about to go away. He's about to be ascended. In verse six, so when they'd come together, they were asking him, saying, "Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel?" They know that there will be a heavenly kingdom where he rules with a rod of iron they know there will be a kingdom where the lion does lay down with the lamb they know there will be a kingdom where the evil in the world will be subdued and destroyed but he says it is not for you to know the times or epochs which the father has fixed by his own authority so that and and then he just leaves it at that They're, they're wanting to know when when, when, when Lord he says it's not for you to know the times you're not supposed to know the times or the epochs but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you don't you know that these are tied together They're longing to know when are things going to happen. When is this going to happen? When is this kingdom going to happen? He goes, here's what you think about. It's not for you to know the times or the epochs, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. So we don't spend all our time trying to figure out when. We're now filled with the Spirit. And we say, we've received power to do what? Sit around and figure out these times? Or say, we know the time is near. Paul's letters to the Thessalonians tell us that um, we are children of the day. We know the seasons. Jesus even said... You look and you can tell. You can look at the picture. You can tell when it's it's almost time for harvest. You can tell all these things just by looking, observing the seasons. So we know the seasons of His coming. We may not know the exact day or hour, but we know the seasons. We know the signs of the times. But what do we do about it? We realize that we've been empowered to be witnesses, and we go and spread the gospel. Because we are hastening the day of the Lord and looking forward to His coming. And how do you look forward to His coming? You say, I'm going to continue to do what He's called me to do. Now watch, watch after this. In fact, let's read the next verse. Verse 9. And after He had said these things, He was lifted up while they were looking on. And a cloud received Him out of their sight. Next verse. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while He was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. What's the message? Why are you looking at the sky? Did he not just give you a command? He'll come back. But let's not look at the sky. What does John 4 say? What did Jesus say to his disciples? Lift up your eyes and look to the fields, they're white in the harvest. Don't look at the sky. Look at the fields. Because Jesus is coming back. But instead of staring at the sky the whole time, you've got a job to do. You go. You wait for the Spirit. When the Spirit comes on you, you'll be empowered to do what I left you here to do. Quit looking at the sky. Start looking at the fields. They're ready. They're ripe and to harvest. And that's why I left you here. And that's why He hasn't come yet. There are more people to be born again. And they're going to come... And we get to be part of it. Isn't that fun? Isn't that awesome? So, let's align our thoughts to be like His thoughts. You see, because a lot of people are going to harden their hearts. When things like this last week's events happen, they stop looking. They stop hoping for Jesus. They just say, I don't even want to think about it anymore. Every prediction I've ever heard has been wrong. Yeah, and they will continue to be wrong. Jesus said, I'm coming at an hour you know not. But... That doesn't mean you stop looking forward to his coming. You see, here's here's where we stay out of the ditch. Yeah, there's those in the ditch and they've made predictions, and all the way back to Jesus' times, they've tried to tell people it's this week, it's this week, it's this day. But there's others who've responded to that and unfortunately have hardened their heart. They don't even want to think about him coming again. But the scripture throughout the New Testament says look forward to his coming anxiously await our salvation our redemption our 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 time where he comes and receives his church look forward to it await it with hope and expectation how do you look forward to it it says here's how we do it we continue in what he's called us to do in that steadfastness that he's called us to we continue working until he comes in the grace of God in the knowledge of him and you don't quit you don't get discouraged You say, He's coming soon. The night is almost over. This is how it will encourage you folks because it's telling you here that because the world is going to end, you say, well, how do I conduct myself? If the world's going to get burned up, how do I live? Do you live for a temporary world or do you live for an eternal God? You live to Him, for Him, through Him. And you say, through you everything was created. So I'm going to spend all my time, my energy, my thoughts on the eternal. And the eternal purpose of Jesus Christ was to draw the world to Himself. There will be some that reject that. There will be some that do perish. But He does not desire it. He does not want it. And so what He sent us to do is to rescue them from the pit. Snatch them from the flames. and See them come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Look forward to His coming. Don't let this stuff harden your heart to it. He is coming again. He keeps His promises. But how do you respond to that? You respond by staying steadfast in the things of God, realizing you've been empowered. Look to the fields, not just to the sky. Look to those fields. They're white. They're ready for harvest. Amen? Would you stand? The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's rich in love. Let me tell you, have you ever noticed in Isaiah 61, Because we're seeing a God who is merciful, and that's why he delays his coming. But have you ever noticed in Isaiah sixty one, he mentions two things. He mentions more than two things, but I'm going to talk about two things real quick. He mentions the year of the Lord's favor and the day of judgment. Now I don't want to spend too much time on this and get get off on it, but isn't that interesting that there's that he talks about the year of favor? And the day of judgment. You see, we serve a merciful God. And it is His long-suffering nature. It is His patience that is, a, is going to be salvation for many. What's cool to me is that His favor lasts a lifetime. The Scripture says His anger lasts a moment, but His favor lasts a lifetime. In all this talk about judgment, remember this, that His mercy triumphs over judgment. And that that's why He's Given these people chance after chance after chance. What a great God we serve. And also this, one more thing. When you hear judgment, what do you think? Do you flinch? Do you cringe? Because judgment for you is a good thing. You've been judged righteous through Jesus Christ. Judgment Day is going to be a happy day for you. Judgment Day is the day where He proclaims you righteous. It's going to be the day where you're going to be rewarded for things. It's going to be the day where we are going to rejoice. You don't flinch when you hear judgment. Think about this. If somebody ripped you off and stole all your money and you stood before the judge and that judge had the power to pay you back for all the things that have been stolen. Judgment is a good thing. You can't wait for judgment day because the law is on your side. Well, because of Jesus Christ... Judgment Day is not a bad day for you. You've already been made righteous through Him, so Judgment Day is a good day. Praise the Lord. So, we work in the grace of God. We never work on our own strength. We never work to somehow curry favor with Him. You already have found favor. You do it because that's what you've been created for. Thank God. And we'll do it until He comes. Amen? Father, we thank You. For your patience, your loving kindness, your long suffering nature, that has been salvation for many. Thank you, Jesus, for caring enough to send people into our path to tell us about you. Thank you, Lord, for giving us so many chances and for having such great mercy that you would love the world enough not to destroy it at the first chance you had, but to give us a chance to find You and to find forgiveness and mercy and grace. You're such a good God. Lord, in this time, I realize there are a lot of people with questions. There are people with doubts. There are people with scoffing and mocking. I ask, Lord, that You would enable Your people right here with the right answers. That they would respond with the love of Christ. That that love would answer questions that haven't even been asked that that love would penetrate the hardest of hearts that 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 power and utterance of the holy spirit would give us the words to say when we don't know what to say help us to be exactly who you called us to be in this great time of history the great harvest at the end of this age in jesus name